Good evening, everybody. Before I begin, <clears throat> I want to tell a story I just saw. It was Zilberstein, Goyasha's son-in-law, Robert Nebra. He tells that when he was a bachur, he was learning in Babatki Yeshiva in Nebra, and he would like to go to Tish. So he would go to the vision of the Rabbi Tish, the Emrechaim, himself. And he said it was Shrat, middle of the winter, and he came to the Tish, and all the Hasidim were crowded around the Rabbi. There weren't that many Hasidim then. They were listening closely to get every word. And the Rebbe starts off by saying, Oi, it's Chodesh Shrat, Dalt Pesach. It's going to be Seder night. And I have, how am I going to become, I don't have enough time to be ready. <laughs> Middle of Shrat. He didn't have enough time to be ready for the Seder. So it's good that we take a little time. <laughs> the week before the Seder, try to get a little ready. And he, he wasn't ready, and he was ready for preparing for Shabbat. The title of the shir is How to Make the Seder Meaningful for Everybody. Typically, by a Seder, there's a whole gamut of people, different ages, different levels of understanding, and different interests. And it's a big challenge to try to make it something which is appreciated by everybody and and relevant to everybody. But I, I, what I was thinking was that if you look at the way Chazal structured the Seder, they had this in mind, I think. To some extent, they addressed this issue. Chazal structured the Seder in a way that it should catch the interest of the children. How, what did they put into the Seder that should catch in the interest of children? Action. A whole bunch of different actions. And we're going to go through a list of that soon. They understood that what's going to catch the attention of younger children is when you do something strange and they find it curious, they find it interesting, and they want that to be explained. They want to know the meaning of it. And it makes it more fun. And that's the, what, the part of the Seder that Chazal instituted to relate to any age. If you take, for example, Yachat. We break the mass in half. We talked about this on Shabbos, Shabbos Adal Russia. But what you need is a half a massa because lachem aini, it has to be lachem aini, it has to be a broken massa. So you need a broken massa. Okay. You also need a piece of massa for every time. There's no need to make a whole elaborate display of taking a massa, breaking it in half, saving it for every time. You could start the Seder with two and a half masses. And then when it comes to every time, you can just take another massa from the back. Hazal made a whole production out of it because that catches their attention and that's interesting. And that relates to the, everybody, any age in the Seder. So, one thing Hazal instituted in the Seder is action. And when we're trying to relate to children of all ages, that's where we have to put our focus on. Now, there's also another whole part of the Seder. There's a lot of saying in the Seder. You open your Haggadah, you stop the magic, and you say, and you say, and you say. And clearly, the saying is not for the little children. <laughs> they don't do well with a lot of saying. A lot of adults also don't do well with a lot of saying. <laughs> we try our best. But in that way, the, 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 the Haggadah almost is like a sitter. And um, the older generation, that, that was kind of what it was like. They said it was a nusuch, and it, it had its own beauty to it. But it was, it was like you were reading it off. And Clearly, it's meant to be interactive, 
But I think that part of the Seder represents the intellectual part of the Seder. And that's intended for the adults to say it, to understand it, to discuss it. I think practically speaking, we have to capitalize on the actions in order to relate to the children, explain them, get into them, give meaning to them. And we have to capitalize on the discussion part of the Seder to relate to the adults. We're going to, we go through the actions and we try to understand them. We also can then take the messages that are in those actions and tie them into the different parts of the Haggadah because those messages obviously are themes that go throughout the Haggadah. So that becomes where it's interesting. And you can show where this action meant this and we say that here in the Haggadah and we say that here in the Haggadah and you can constantly just demonstrate while people are still listening, this is what we were talking about. It also told us, and this is very important, as I'll call this, be realistic. Know your family's limitations. One of the pshatim and chaytzinus amatis, and this is brought down in Mishnah Bura, is to rush to get to achilas matzah. Don't take too long in the seder. You have to know what the limitations are. The Mishnah Bura actually struggles with this, and he says, no, it just means rush to get to avodah. You know. And most of us always understood that kadesh olishnas and eikis, the children shouldn't fall asleep, means they shouldn't fall asleep, and she gets to say the manishana. But that's not really what it means. The Shabbat says they're supposed to be awake till Achilles Matzah. And they're supposed to even, if possible, say how. That's a whole new different view of today's relation to Achilles. And as a result, Chazal said, and according to most of the that's what it means, is that do it quickly, make it move, so that they get to Achilles Matzah. But here's where many people make a mistake, is they think that Shulchan Aruch is like the end. It's over. <laughs> Magad is ended. And then we have Shulchan Aruch. That's a very big mistake. Shulchan Aruch is part of the Seder. And it's a very, very holy part of the Seder. It's Kaddish. It plays a part and a role in Sikri Seder and Sayyam, Shulchan Aruch itself. According to the Mechaber, the Chachila, one is obligated to be Mesav, the whole Suda. You do a Seder throughout everything you eat during the Suda. Every part of the Suda is the Chalik of the Sikri Seder and Sayyam. The meal starts with the, the Mitzvah of Achilles Mat and it ends with but those aren't just the bookends that, that demonstrates what's in between. Every part of it is supposed to be Sipriyatius and Shrine. And that means that during the, say, during the Suda, whatever extra discussion you wanted to have, whatever you wanted to expound about the Sipriyatius and Shrine, that's the right time to do it. And when you think about it, there's actually two ways to do it. In other words, the Seder itself, the Haggadah, I mean, the Haggadah is intense. It's like a Seder. You're not allowed to be mastic. There's, there's halachas. You can eat during the, when you say maggot, you can drink once you start maggot. It, it has certain halachas of saying something, of saying a howl, saying, say, saying a davening. So there's a certain intensity to it. You follow a structure. That's the maggot. That's part of that. But when you get to Shulchan then it's open. And then you're reclined, and then you're eating, and it's a much more relaxed atmosphere. And that is supposed to be your own, your own time for free discourse about the concepts of Yitzhak and time. That's what's supposed to happen during Shulchan Aruch. We speak about whatever we want at that point, and there's no hefty. But then the Tiv and his Haggadah Emre Shachos is a beautiful, beautiful thought about Shulchan Aruch. He says, how is it permitted to be mastic in the middle of how? We say two prakam of how before Shulchan Aruch, and we say two, another, the rest of the prakam of how after Shulchan Aruch. 
There's an instant to be mastic in the middle of Hal. The rest of the year, Hal is treated like Kriyashma. You're only allowed to answer someone in the middle of Hal, Neashalom, Neakavid. It has the same look like you're in the middle of Brook of Kriyashma. And suddenly over here on the night of the Seder, we're mastic and we eat a whole food in the middle of Hal. How are you allowed to do that? So he says, beautifully, I have to quote his language. He says, Baal Alamdeinu Bezez comes to teach us the Hasudish Anu Oichlem, He Lifnei Hashem. The Suda that we're eating is in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Pesach Bezman The Pesach which we eat eight Bezman Abayis. And Masamor Bezman And the Masamor we eat today. And that's what we're praising in this howl of the night of Pesach. Shehalonu HaKadosh Baruch Hu B'Yitzias Mitzrayim At Shehafila Achilaseinu Ha'inyam HaKadosh. HaKadosh Baruch Hu elevated us so much that our Achila is so holy. And it, it has its place in the middle of howl. It belongs there. It's a chalik of the house. And that's a whole new view. And that's something that needs to be explained. And everybody has to understand that. This is not a regular suda. This is not even a regular suda center. This is a suda center in the middle of how. And it's doing the same function as how. We're praising that God is through our eating because that's how holy our eating is. <clears throat> the Nitziv, continuing in this Hakdama, he explains one of the first actions that we take in the Seder. The very first action, which is meant again to make our children ask. The Tati came behind from Shiel. That's the way he put it to me. The Tati came behind his father. When he comes home from Shul, puts it on the vice kittle. He puts on a white kittle. Why do we wear a kittle on the night of the Seder? So the Taz says, the reason is, is because it's something that dead people wear. You dress a that person and a, and a kittle, and it's meant because we're going to get very rowdy. So we wear a kittle to calm us down a little bit. So then it says that doesn't make sense. Then we should wear it every yantar. I didn't say this punk. That's when we're wearing a kittle. Every yantar we should wear a kittle. So he says, the Taz says another reason. He says it's Darach But why is it Darach And it says a beautiful, a beautiful chat. And his son, Rav Meir Berlin, better known as Meir Barilan, would say that this would be the first thing his father Nitzib would say in the Seder every year. He would walk in with his kittle, everybody would get up, and he would say this bar. He would say, why do we wear the kittle? He said that when the time of the Beit HaMikdash, we ate by the Seder, carbon Pesach. carbon Pesach was Achilat Kachim. Achilat Kachim means you were eating from something that was brought in the Beit HaMikdash. Chazal say, Halacha, it's a Gemara, makes an Achimino, Halacha, may Shulchan Gavaya Kazachu, when you eat from a carbon, you're not eating from your own table. You're eating from the table of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And that means that has ramifications. It means it doesn't belong to you. You're eating like a guest eats something. The Karmbez didn't belong to you. You were eating it as a, a dish served by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. He says, when you sit at a king's table, you don't come dressed in your regular clothing. You have special clothing that you wear, suitable to be dining at, at the table of a king. And he says, in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, linen clothing, white linen clothing, was the most hush of the clothing that there was. We see the Big Day Kain Gadol on Yom Kippur, the white Big Day Kain Gadol, was worth 18,000 zuz. It was, that was, it was the most hush of in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, white linen clothing. So that's what they wore. It was their most hush of the bag that they had. Because when you ate a carbon pesach, when you partook in a carbon, you had to wear clothing suitable. You were eating on the table of the king. And that's why we wear the kippah. The Queen of England hosts a garden party more than once a year. 
8,000 people on average attend. It is such a hush of a thing to get an invitation to the Queen's garden party. People are dying to get an invitation. You can't, like, you know, uh, log in and try to get yourself invited. You have to be sponsored. Someone up there has to know you and suggest that you get an invitation. Even though there are 8,000 people that go, it's a tremendous big deal if you get invited to the Queen's garden party. Solomon Shlita should be well. He said that when Gates said there was a poor guy, he was a tailor, a Jewish fellow, and his son was, became a big macho in politics. And he knew his father would really appreciate it. And he got his father invited to the Queen's Garden Party. Ooh, he was so proud of it. He had that invitation displayed on his mantle. He had no havamina that he was going to go because he couldn't afford the clothing. There's a, there's a dress code. There's a dress code. I looked it up. There's a, you know, there's a certain way you dress if you come to the Queen's Garden Party. But just to have that invitation, he had it displayed on his wall proudly. The Queen's Garden Party. And we're sitting on the Shulchan Shal HaKadosh Baruch We wear special clothing. Melech Malchah Hamlach. Interestingly, in the Tiv, great-great-great-grandson, Rabbi J.B. Tolvechik, his Agadah, he asked on this, he said, this is so everybody should wear it. We all ate from the carbon paper, not just the balabai. Oh, a cash. <laughs> Try to come up with the tariff. That was the cash. So much of the Seder is geared towards demonstrating our kashivas, our inherent kashivas, who we are, who we are as people, with the name of We're people, we're children of the king. And we're people who sit at the king's table. And it's important to stress that, that no matter what your background is, who you are, your abilities are, you have the potential and the awesome inherent qualities of a Ben Noah. We're Mamlechet Kayan and the Goy Kaddish. We demonstrated so many times throughout the Seder, we have to make that point and explain what it means in a very practical way. The Kittle is the action. That's something we do. It's going to catch the attention of our kids. We can ask them to explain their reasons. I'm sure they have heard one why you wear a kittle, and then we can give them this reason and explain to them what that means. And there's different places in Magid where we make this point as well. But here's a beautiful one I heard from in the name of Rabbi Yasser's Hassan. We mentioned, Rabbi Loza ben Azariah said, Right? Rabbi Azariah says, I was seven years old, and I was never zaycha to say Yitzhak Nisayim Belaylas until Ben Zayma made a drush. This is always the part of that. I thought it was to get really sidetracked because you can go into all kinds of side topics and you can get off the track with the Tears and Shrine. But it said, we say it in the Haggadah, even though it's talking about Tears and Tears and Shrine. So we actually said, there's a point that we want to make over here. Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah was the most qualified person in Judaism of that generation. He was Ben Akaban from Ezra HaSeifer. Ezra HaSeifer was as According to Chazal, it's Moshe Rabbeinu. If not for Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah would have given, been given through Ezra. He was just ten generations removed from Ezra HaSeifer. He had tremendous ichus. He was a tremendous guy and a tremendous Hamachachim. He was 18 years old and he was appointed the Rosh Hashiva of Rabbi Yamlil and Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Akiva. He was a Rosh 18 years old. A miracle happened and his beard turned white. He was tremendously wealthy. His Meister Behemoth was 12,000 Behemoths a year. That means that was one-tenth of what he owned. New Behemoths every year. He was wealthy. He had Yichus. 
He was a giant and he was a Tamakaka. And he wanted to prove a point. And he couldn't do it. No one accepted it from him. He wanted, you see, some scientists said by night, he just couldn't convince anybody. Atadarsha Ben Zayma. Ben Zayma wasn't even called Rabbi. He didn't even have smicha. He didn't have yichud. He wasn't rich. He had no qualification. And he was like to be the one that the halacha was like. Eliyashi says, we say this to make this point. It doesn't make a difference. Your background, anybody has the ability, anybody has the potential to be a global deterrent. To make the effort, everybody has that in them. He quotes another Chazal that Rabbi Yeshua came to visit Rabbi Daisa with his Hamidim. So Rabbi Daisa recognized Rabbi Yeshua and he called him to town. He had him seated on a golden chair. Rabbi Yeshua said, I have another Talmud with me. He said, who is he? He said, Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah. He says, oh, Azariah, our son, had a, had a, Azariah, our friend, had a son who's such a great Talmud. Chachem, where is he? He had him seated too. He said, I have another Talmud with me. Who is he? Akiva ben Yaisei. Rabbi Akiva, Zaysa said, you're Rabbi Akiva whose name goes to be Saifa Island, that your fame travels from one end of the world to the next. Yirbu Kamais Kabi Yisrael. There should be more like you in Christ. So Yashi says, Rabbi Akiva got that? Yirbu Kamais Kabi Yisrael? And not, not Rabbi Elizabeth Nazariah? He says, yeah. He says, because Rabbi Akiva is someone that no one could have any excuses. He was the son of Gerin. He had no background. He didn't grow up as a Talmud Chacham. He was an Amaris. He knew nothing. Until he was 40, he says, if he would have met a Tamakov, he would have bit him like a Hamar. So he had nothing. He had no background. He had no yichus. And he was as poor as possible. Because I was going to. And he was. Shmuel Hanukkah, the second one, the he achieved such tremendous levels in Taira. Like you, no one can have excuses. Everybody could be like you. There should be more people like you. And that's a very important message. In another place in the Seder, we say, The Mishram did evil to us. But the Satan Rebbe explains it means more than just they did evil to us. means they made us look evil. The same things the Germans did during the Holocaust or their propaganda, the same things that have been done for hundreds of generations with blood libels, they always try to make the Jews look like murderers, the Jews look like cheats, the Jews look like a novin. They try to portray the Jews as the worst people on earth. I saw one book, the commenting how it's so, the contradiction is so inherent how in the same breath they try to portray the Jews as the stupidest and foolish people in the world, and at the same time they're running the world and in control of all the banks. And it's hard to understand that, but it can be said in one breath somehow, and an anti-Semitic can understand it. That's why you rail on Hamishram. They try to make us look terrible. And that's something that goes on today as well. And if they don't try to make us look terrible, then they try to make us, we're all the same. There's nothing special about us. Everybody is equal. Everybody is created the same. Everybody is the same. And we're not. We're Mamalachas Tainan Vigarikadas. And that's a message that has to be drilled in again and again. And that's the point of the Seder. That's one of the central themes in the Seder. Sam Rebbe once was being driven in his car and he saw someone who was dressed like a Rebbe. He had a vacation with the velvet on the sleeve and the velvet over here. So he asked the driver to stop, give the person a ride. So the person gets in. Sam Rebbe asks him, who are you? He says, I'm a Rebbe of a Rebbe. So he asks him, who, which Rebbe are you an of? He says, the guest of the Rebbe, the biggest Rebbe possible, Rama Vina. So Sam Rebbe asked him, which wife? <laughs> 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 I'll go to 
So he says, you know, to be a Ben Rebbe Shainical is not a big deal. What you make out of yourself, that's what counts. And at the same time, the next thing we do in the Seder, we start preparing the Ka'ara. And that's the next thing we do. We take three matches. One, two, three. Why do we take three matches? A whole bunch of reasons. But on most of your Seder plates or your cloth, it says, Kaihen Levi Yisrael. That's universal. The Kahan, it, it represents Kaihen Levi Yisrael. Why are we trying to represent Kaihen Levi Yisrael with three matches? Because that's a big deal as well. We're all equal, and at the same time, we're not all equal. There are Kahanim, there are Levim, and there are Yisraelim. And that itself is a source of great pride for us. Just thinking back, I remember I had in, when I was in Brisk, there was someone there from England, and he was, he was like a real Brisker. With this full understanding of that, he was very, very, she was very into learning and everything. And I just remember some of the other people teasing him and saying, look, you know, it's true. She was very into learning and everything, but the Queen of England, that's still a big deal for you, right? You're from Britain. <laughs> and he had to admit it was. Having a queen is a big deal. Having Kahan and having Levium and having Israelim. The fact that we have that as part of our nation gives us such tremendous chashivus. It's our source of pride. Not everybody could be a kind. And if everybody could be a kind, it would take away from the value of kuhun. We understand there's a need to be kahanim, or zaychav, for whatever reason that Kaddish decided, and levim, for whatever reason that Kaddish decided. But we're all together, and when we are all together, that's the only way we're in the kind of Because we all are am echad. And that's a good point, part to think about, is that when Mashiach comes, we're going to have a king. And that's going to be a real king, not Queen of England. <laughs> the real thing. And to think about it, it's a very different form of government. I think a little bit about how different it will be and talk about it. Well, to talk about Mashiach, something, you know, we mentioned in the beginning of the Haggadah, we talk about it, we say, we end with Hashanah, how much time do we take to contemplate what it's going to be like in Yemaita Mashiach? We don't think about it so much, to make it real, just, just to, to feel it out. And there are different places in Haggadah where this comes up as well. And I remember when 9-11 happened, and, it, you know, it was a shock, and everybody was dazed. And people were really feeling that Mashiach is about to come. And the initial reaction when you think like that is overwhelming fear. Because it's fear of the unknown. Things are going to change when Mashiach comes. And it's something we have to think about and get comfortable with and discuss. What do our children picture Mashiach is going to be like? What do they think that you might have Mashiach? What are they looking forward to? What are they scared about? It's a tremendous thing to talk about and make it real. Another important point to make to our children, we're doing Sipriyatis Mitzrayim, and the Torah made the children the hero of the Seder, Arbabanim, the children. And even if they're not really such Bnei Chinnaf, they're not really the age of Chinnaf, they still are supposed to be included in the Seder. And I saw a paper called Paul Zaren. He writes that it's also an important thing to explain that the children were singled out for oppression in Mitzrayim. First, they tried to discourage us from having children at all. Zuprishas Darachat. They made us so exhausted, so worn out, so white, so without hope, 
that people just weren't having children. And how did we overcome that? The women knocked themselves out to make sure that doesn't happen. They did everything in their, every trick they had, they used to encourage their children, to encourage their husbands to continue having children. Then they tried to throw the children into the Nile. They tried to put them into the walls as bricks. That was also to just discourage the Jews from having children, and it almost worked. Amram divorced his wife, and the whole Kali Yisrael followed, followed suit. That means there was almost going to be no more children. And again, because of a woman, Miriam, stood up to her father and chastised him. And he agreed to her. And everybody married back their wife. We were that close. The mission were that close to accomplishing what they wanted. There were tremendous nisim that happened to save these children. And we say it in a puffic in the Haggadah. It's one of those sukkim we read. We don't really know what it's talking about. And then we know we just dip in by the Ma'achai, but the Ma'achai. What's the beginning of that puffic talking about? There's a tremendous message in that puffic, the Chazal say. And that story is a tremendous story to tell our children. refers to the children. The children were thrown into the Nile, many of them were saved by Malachim. They were brought into the field. They were fed by Malachim. Sullivan's Vash. The Mishra were aware of this. Even though it was miraculous, they tried to kill them. They got swallowed into the ground and protected in underground caves. The Mishra still didn't give up. They came with oxen and with plows and they tried to plow the ground to kill them. And they were still safe. And eventually they grow, grew old enough you grew older, you became greater, and then they would come from the fields in droves. This is a tremendous miracle. And it's in that topic that we don't know what it's talking about. And it's something very important to tell children. There's a reason why you're the key part of the Seder, because you were almost didn't exist. <clears throat> so here's a list of the interesting actions we take throughout the Seder. We were at Kittle. We just addressed. We have three masters we just addressed. We set up the Ka'ara. It has six components. So some of them are obvious. Karpas, Mora, Haresis. But the, what about the other three? The Raya, the Beya, the Egg, Kazareth. What are those four? Why do we have those? We lean while eating and drinking. We do a Seba. We wash without making a bracha. Just eat a vegetable. We dip the vegetable in salt water. And don't make a bracha achreina. We break the middle matzah in half, save the bigger half for later. We talked about that in Shabbat bubble. We cover the matzah, we uncover it at different places. We drip, drip drops of wine out of our becher by the makis. We drink four cups of wine. We dip the mara and karesa. We eat kairos matzah and mara together. We eat after kairos and don't eat anything afterwards. And we rush to eat it before chasais. And we divide the house into two parts and have the suda middle, which we have addressed already. Fourteen things. Hasebo. Why do we do our table? So we try to say it's the way kings used to eat, but the children say it's uncomfortable. No one eats like that anymore. This is being like kings. How is being like kings? This is a very good question. And the truth is, we shouldn't say, you have to, don't have to do our table. Kings don't do it anymore. But we do it. So why are we doing it? Rabbi Matthias said a beautiful chat. He says, brings the Chazal, by Yasev Oysam Terah Hamidbar. It's based on that topic. By Yasev Oysam Terah Hamidbar, the girl who took them Derech Hamidbar, who the Medbar, with Hasebo. What does that mean? There's a Pasuk in Yermia. Uh, Kaddish Baruch Hu says, 
Where is Hashem? It took us out of Eretz Mitzrayim. I'm going to look at Hashem about Midbar. He took us through a Midbar, a desert, a rubble, a sea of a Talmud, a place of death. The Medrash says on that passage that Akash Baruch was telling Kal Yisrael, I took you through a Midbar. It's a place. It's a desert. When you're traveling through a desert, even when a king has to go through a desert with his army, he roughs it. He doesn't take his five-star chef with him. He doesn't take his palace. He doesn't take his pillows. He goes in a tent like everybody. Okay, maybe it's a big tent. And he sleeps in a cot like everybody. Maybe he has a few more pillows. And he roughs it like everybody else. But that's not what you did in the Midbar. You in the Midbar had every single comfort, every single delight. You had man which tasted like anything you wanted it to taste like. You had a cover that made you comfortable, made your clothing beautiful, made everything about... Made everything perfect. You were traveling with a five-star hotel with five-star catering, a real Pesach hotel, all year long. More than you could eat. And Kali Yisrael still says, Love Ali Sanam and Mitzrayim, send us back there. He says, we get used to something, and we don't appreciate it anymore. We could be in the middle of a midbar, being catered to every need that we have, and we say, ah, we had it better in Mitzrayim. He says, we recline today. Reclining is something which is so totally extra. It's not necessary. It's not part of, you know, the enjoyment of the food. It's something which is totally extra. Totally, we totally don't need to do it, and we just do it to show that I cut it who piled on to us. Enjoyment after enjoyment, care after care. He took care of every single need. That's why we do it. To show a little appreciation for that. We do the Zraya and the Beta. So the Zraya, we know, it represents the carbon paste. That's why we roast it. Why do we take a Zraya, the wings? The Zraya is the Tuya. Easy, right? Because the Rokhul Seder is an outstretched hand. Why do we take a Beta? Why do we take an egg? So most people know, Zechel a carbon Chagiga. First, you have to explain, what's the business of this carbon Chagiga? Why did you have to have a carbon Chagiga than out of Pesach? Did everybody eat a carbon Chagiga? Not everybody ate a carbon Chagiga. It depended how many people you had. If you had a lot of people by your Seder, so everybody only got one kazai for the carbon Pesach, then you needed a carbon Chagiga because you were supposed to eat the, the Pesach al when you were full, which is an interesting concept. If you didn't have a lot of people and you and your wife and two kids had to finish the whole carbon Pesach, you didn't bring the carbon Chagiga. Not they were a carbon Chagiga. But why is the carbon Chagiga based on? Does anybody know why it's an egg? The Tal says the reason is because Beit in Aramaic is Bo'i. Bo'i means desire, will in Aramaic. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he brings us from Yashami, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to redeem us. That's how we have a Be'ah. And that's what we're supposed to be communicating here. We have a Zechel LaPesach. What are we doing Zechel LaPesach for? What are we doing Zechel LaMikdash for? Because we know HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to redeem us. He hasn't given up. Therefore, we don't give up. And that's so important. That's why we do these Zechel Pesach, because we know next year, the next year, we want to remind ourselves, we want to remember how it's done. We want to talk a little bit about the halachas, how you know, we should be somewhat familiar when the time comes, because it's just a year or two. If Hashem wants, he'll find a way. We don't know why Hashem hasn't taken us out of the Gaulus yet. We don't know why. But we know one thing. We know in Mitzrayim we weren't supposed to come out of the Gaulus, and Hashem figured it out it didn't make sense. He made it happen anyway. He was docking against the case. He counted this way. He counted that way. He, he was mindful half of it. When Hashem wants something to happen, he makes it happen. 
So we just have to make it difficult, him, difficult for him to say no anymore. If we make it so difficult that he can't say no anymore, he'll take us out. That's the importance of Zraya and Basis. The two things have to be stressed. Yachat, <clears throat> we talked about it on Shabbos, but the Zvart, I said it last year, it's just a wonderful Vart from the Sphinx Rebbe. He said that the two parts of the Master represent us and Hashem. He says we're separated, kind of, because we're in Gauls. But the two parts of the Master, he says, they're like those necklaces, you know, that two friends get. It says BFF is broken in half, and like they only fit together. B and half of F on one, and the other half of the F and the other F on the other one. The two friends get it. He says those two masses, they fit together. Us and Akadosh Baruch We keep our half, and he keeps his half. We're always holding on to our half. He's holding on to, always on to his half. We know we fit together. He's never leaving go of us. Last year, I ordered a couple of those. Those were some necklaces for the girls, some keychains for the kids. It's, it's something, you know, the more physical you can make it, the more tangible you can make it, it's something. It, it, it makes it memorable. Urcha. We wash without making a bracha. Why do we wash without making a bracha? Why do we wash? Because we're eating a dabrash at of a mashkin, we're eating a vegetable that's dipped in liquid. Do you wash the rest of the year when you eat something that's dipped in a liquid? Are you ready? No, I am. One. You do. So, Mechabra says you should. All right, that's not a lot. Most people don't, right? Most people don't. You don't wash when you eat a vegetable. So why are we washing the night of Pesach? So the Taz says, well, you see here, that all, we're all wrong. We're sure you should be doing it all year long. We're doing it We're doing it. That's another question they should ask. And the Tiv says, but the Chazal said they made karpas to make the children ask questions. They didn't make this, the, the urkas to the So he goes back to the same thing. He says, we're trying to replicate how they did it in this man of the base of Mikdash when they had the carbon Pesach. And in the of the base of Mikdash, everybody agrees you have to wash your hands for Darvish Tibula B'mashkin when you dip something into a liquid because of the halachas of Kachim and halachas of Taharis. And we're trying to replicate that. That's why on the night of Pesach, we wash our hands for Darvish Tibula B'mashkin. And that's also part of the same message. Think about how different it's going to be. When you have to keep the halachas of Kachim and Taharis, we're going to print a whole new Shulchan Aruch. And everybody's going to have to know it. It'll be like regular Arakayim. You're going to have to know that also the Kachim and Taras. They excavated a, a Kayim's home in Yerushalayim. I don't know if anybody visited it, but it had a mikveh in the house. That's where you have to live if you're a Kayim. If you're living on Truma and eating Kachim, you have to have a mikveh in your house. Most of the vessels were stone. Stone that are not Makabal Tumah. There's no other option. You lived your life, which is in a whole different, different daily life, day to day. Your fancy china was carved out of a hunk of stone. <laughs> I don't know what it looked like. <clears throat> we dip carpas into salt water. So here, the children officially ask, part of the Manishtana, why do we dip? So we dip in salt water. Why? So we tell them to represent the tears. Okay. We represent the tears. Why are we eating our tears? Okay. The, why do we do it in the beginning of the Seder? What does the potato represent? I heard a sharp voice from. This voice was said by Mendel the Kotrak. Everybody knows that it is. You know that it is from Bar Park. Mendel the Kotrak, who I just Googled, I found that his name was Mendel White. He just passed away. He was a very special person. He wasn't well, and uh, he wasn't well mentally. And he would walk around Bar Park. He would wear many, many volumes of coats. That's what he would call that. 
And there are a few tzaddikim that would take him into the house and they would drive him around. And one of those tzaddikim was Karusa I had, and he used to drive him around. So he told me a word from him once. He said, the night of Pesach, we dipped carpas into salt water and the children will ask, why are we dipping in? He says, well, it's like a Rosh Hashanah. We also dip. We dip the apple in honey. All the kids think, dip the apple in the honey. And no one asks, why are we dipping? What's going on? Why aren't they asking Rosh Hashanah why are we dipping? He says, when you dip in honey, no one has any questions. When you dip into something bitter, the salt water, ooh, then everybody starts having questions. When things start going wrong, when things don't taste so good, then it's loaded with questions. When things are geschmack, no one has any questions. Rashim Schwab he commented on this difference. He said that when the children are asking the Manishtana, it's not really a question, it's an observation. Manishtana, look how different this night is. And they see not only is the fact that we're doing things differently, they say, he says, he makes this point, he says, we do, this, we do things interestingly other nights of the year also, when we're doing Sukkot, when we're doing Lulu, and Ashik. That's not what is it, catching the attention of our kids. It's catching the attention of our kids is that we're making a big deal out of little things. We're dipping our carpas into salt water, and we're making a production out of it. We have it on our tater plate. We're dipping. We're calling it carpas. We're making an announcement before... So that's Manishtana, why are you making such a big deal out of all these little things? That's what's catching their attention. And to that we answer him, that you're very right, because tonight is a very different kind of night. And this ties very similar to what the Nitzit said. He says, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is here tonight. We're guests on his table. And when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is right here, his presence is here on the table, every little thing makes a huge difference. Leil Shimurim Hu L'chol Bnei Yisrael This is a night that's been watched and kept for every generation of Jews. Leil Shemur means that Kaddish Baruch Hu watches us. That means there's a tremendous hashgacha on the night of Pesach. Tremendous hashgacha equals hashroi hashkina. That's what it means. Tremendous hashgacha means that Kaddish Baruch Hu is here in a much greater sense than he is on a regular night of the year. That Kaddish Baruch Hu is here sitting at our table. Every tiny little thing we do has tremendous significance and tremendous importance. <clears throat> Why do we do karpas? We dipped. Kali Shalom Mitzrayim were saved because they dipped. They took a vegetable, an azif, they dipped it in the blood, and they put it on their doors. And that's why Kaddish Baruch had Rahmanas in them, and he jumped over their houses. The blood of the carbon pays off, like every carbon, signifies our willingness to sacrifice ourselves. Not sacrificing ourselves, we're sacrificing a carbon. The carbon pays that truly came with great sacrifice. It was tremendous bitachon that Kali Yisrael had to shech the carbon pesa. The Mishra were ready to kill them. And these are people that had oppressed them for hundreds of years. They didn't know otherwise how to stand up to their oppressors. They never revolted. They never rebelled. And this was their first act of rebellion. It was tremendous mysterious nefesh. And that mysterious nefesh was the blood of the carbon pesa. And they dipped into that blood and HaKadosh Baruch Hu always sees that mysterious nefesh. And the salt water, the tears that Kali Yisrael cries throughout the Gullahs is our mysterious nefesh as well. And that's the same thing at Kaddish Baruch who always sees that mysterious nefesh. Those tears that we suffer through the Gullahs because we're Jews. Hashem never forgets that. We dip into it the same way they dip into that blood. At Kaddish Baruch sees that blood and protects us. At Kaddish Baruch sees those tears and protects us. That's something that's never forgotten. By Matan Torah, it says, Tachas Ragov Kamaisa Libnas Asapra. Kadosh Baruch Hu kept a Libnas Asapra, a shining brick, under his feet. Because Rashi says he had a dogma 
a representation of the bricks that they had in Mitzrayim, in front of his Kisei HaKavad, HaKadosh Baruch Hu never stops looking at the suffering we do, the mysterious Nefesh we have, throughout the generations as Jews. And that's our great Tzuchus. Last thing I just want to end. One of the most important things to remember throughout the Seder is to stay happy. Starting every Pesach, our nerves are frayed. After it's not after ready, it's hard and back together. You get to the Seder. Seder itself is a very tense time. We have big expectations for our children. Children might not share our expectations. And, uh, you know, things don't necessarily go exactly how we want it. But the most overwhelming, important, prioritized message that we have to show our children, demonstrate, is how happy we are they're there, how happy they're, we're doing this mitzvah together, and how happy we are to do this mitzvah. The, the, the Maggid would say on the Pasuk in Yeshaya, you called out to me. Hashem says, no, you didn't call out to me. Because things are very difficult for you, Yisrael. So he would give a muscle. He would say there was a fellow he was waiting a shipment from overseas, and it was coming by boat. Finally, the day comes, the boat's on the dock. He tells his servant, oh, please collect it. The guy takes an hour, two hours, three hours. It's taking so long. It's not so far away. Finally, he sees him from a far distance. The guy's holding suitcase. He's schlepping. He's huffing. He's puffing. He's sweating. So the guy yells at him. He says, you got the wrong suitcase. That's not my suitcase. So the servant is astounded. So how do you know? And you thought you're so far away. How can you tell it's not my suitcase? He says, because my suitcase is not heavy. <laughs> it's very light. It's a small box. It's full of diamonds. If you're lugging and you're slipping and it's heavy, you must have the wrong one. That's what Kodesh Baruch says. If you're not serving me, if you're finding it difficult, then it's not a Vedas Hashem. You're doing something wrong. Because a Vedas Hashem is tremendous and joyful. It's tremendously delightful. And that's such an important message to transmit and to concentrate on and to control ourselves, to experience, feel the simple, and transmit it to all the people around us. We can't.